0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Fearless LA. For more information, check out fearlessla.com or explore the Fearless app. Thanks for listening. This is Fearless Los Angeles. I just want to introduce somebody that's going to pour into us in an incredible way. i want to give a huge fearless welcome to Pastor Neil Smith. Yeah! Come on, why don't you all stand to your feet. Come on, everybody just stand to your feet for a moment. You know, I love Christy's passion. I love Jeremy's passion, your pastors here. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to honor them for a moment because... You know, I sat in that room that day and we were just having a coffee and basically uh, Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Christy were just ripping everything they could out of me. What about this? What about that? How do you do this? How do we do that? What do we do here? And and after a while, they asked me so many questions. I sat back in my seat in the restaurant. I said, man, you may as well just be a campus of our church. You're, You're asking more questions than our campus pastors ask. And Christy, this is what I love about Christy, sat up in the table. She pointed at me and she said, why can't we become one? and uh and really that was the starting moment right there and that was only really a few months ago it wasn't like we hatched this plan years ago and and of course the relationship with pastor russell who was here last weekend no doubt he played his guitar and you know and uh grooved out with you all and uh it's just incredible really the opportunity for both of us to be here so quickly it's unusual but we just both happen to be in the states but you know tonight i I don't want to just have a meeting you know, I, I spend my life in meetings, not just these type of meetings, business meetings. And, and you know, meetings can be so boring, you know. Uh, you can go to meetings. This meeting hasn't been boring, just by the way. It's been incredible. And already there's been an agenda set. If you didn't feel, you know, maybe you were here and you were like, man, there's something going on here and you don't know what's going on. I want to tell you the presence of Jesus is here. And so right now, I I don't care what background you come from. You know, as Christians, we lift our hands like this. The reason we do it is it's the universal sign of surrender. We're actually saying, God, if you can do something, do it in me. And and tonight, I don't want to preach alone. I want to preach with you. I want you to actually walk out of here going, we touched God tonight, not he got us to that place because that's not my assignment. My assignment tonight is that you would actually have an encounter with God. So if you want that. Whatever background you come from, whether you come to church all the time, you've never been before, it's irrelevant. Right now, I just want you to close your eyes so that you're not distracted. And I want you to lift your hands. Even if you feel a little uncomfortable, push through. And God in this place tonight, we come not with hearts that are empty. We don't come because we came to a meeting. We don't come just because we got invited by someone. We've come here because there's a divine appointment about to take place. And so God, I pray for every person in this room that they wouldn't leave with the same measure of, uh, you know, issue in their life. They wouldn't leave with the same measure of lack of hope. They wouldn't leave with thinking, how am I going to get through? But they would leave full of hope, full of purpose, understanding that God is not dead. He is alive. And in this place tonight, I pray that there would be a fresh measure of excitement that would come in. To people's lives. We are going to win a city. LA is ours in the name of Jesus. And so tonight we speak it into being, believing that you're going to do something individually and collectively in all of our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Let's give the Lord a great hand. Fantastic. Come on. Let's give him a great hand. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We're expecting tonight. Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Fantastic. Why don't you take a seat? It's also great you guys don't know him, he's, he's becoming my friend, I know that sounds bad, but, but we really haven't spent much time together, once here in person, and lots of texting backwards and forwards, but there's a great man of God in the house tonight that's been in your city for many, many years, and he's got a church called One Church here in LA, and uh, Pastor Torre Roberts is right here on the front row, and I want you to give him a great hand. You know, you know, one of the things that we've got to remember is it's not going to be one church that's going to take a city. It's going to be churches banding together to say we're going to win for the purposes of God. And uh, he's already established a great foothold here. So thanks for coming and we'll develop friendship even more. This will be our second FaceTime together. Real real FaceTime, not like phone FaceTime. Uh, I wonder if you've got a Bible. And if you don't, you might have a PDA. You might have a phone. You might have something. If you don't have anything, just grab the person's thing next to you and use that. Uh, not their wallet, I mean like their thing that's like a, a Bible or whatever else, and turn to the book of two kings. I want to talk to you from an obscure passage of Scripture, but this Scripture is actually a metaphor or a word picture. And in the Old Testament, we actually see stories that are seemingly natural stories. But the reason they're there for those that are uneducated in the word, you need to recognise that more often than not, they're actually a metaphor, a word picture of in the natural, so in the spiritual. So in essence, we need to read it and see the natural, you know, connotation and then apply what is God trying to say to us spiritually. It's not just reading a historic story because the Bible is alive and God is still resides in it. So as we read it, it comes alive. And I want to help you to come alive. This passage of Scripture is taken at a time where there was a famine in the land. So if we apply that to what our situation is today, you know, we need to understand that there is a spiritual famine in our land. Right now in the USA, it was known as a place that, you know, God resided. But the truth is in the last maybe 5, 10, 15 years, people have gone far from even believing in God. And so we need to recognize there is a spiritual famine in the land. So as we read this scripture, we're in the same time that they were in. But you see, it was in this place called Samaria. In this time, they lived in fortified cities. What that meant is that there was walls that were as wide for two chariots to go in both directions around the city. There was four lepers, we're going to read about them in a minute, and lepers were people that were outcasts. They were people that didn't fit. They were misfits in their society. They didn't know how they actually could fit into what was taking place. And so simply, they were cast out because they had a disease that was infectious. Basically, if they touched anybody, instantly they could actually, um, you know, And today, still on earth, particularly in some Asian countries, I'm not sure about this side of the world, there are still some leper colonies. And basically it affects your body parts and, in crude terms, bits drop off of you. It's not a pleasant disease. So they'd throw them outside the city walls. But the Bible says there was a famine in the land. So when there's a famine in the land and you're in the city, it's hard to live. But when you're on the outside of the walls as an outcast and you're actually just taking the food scraps, who knows in famine times... There are no food scraps. So it's where we pick it up in this passage and here in 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 3. Now there was four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here? Turn the person next to you say, why stay here? That was okay, but that was like, you know, why stay here? I mean, I need some people to preach with me, so I want you to get your best preacher's voice on. And turn to the person he's said, like, why stay here? Oh, now we're getting somewhere in this place. Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go over the campy Armenians and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, we die. So the simple options are die, die, maybe live, die. I thought I'd pick a passage of Scripture that would inspire you tonight, okay? So, so you know, here it is at five, verse 5. At dusk they got up and they went to the camp of the Armenians. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up, they left the camp as it was, and they ran for their lives. The men who had had leprosy, reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes. They went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it uh, and hid them also. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is the day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace." See, you know, right in this place we find some outcasts, we find some people who are minority, we find some people whose life hasn't necessarily panned out the way they thought it was going to pan out. And in each one of our lives we can look at circumstances in our life and parallel ourselves and say, why am I here? Why isn't that working for me? Why didn't that happen? Why did that happen with my parents? Why did I have that upbringing in that way? Why did that financial challenge come my way? And we can actually at times feel like outcasts. But because we're in a place where we feel like outcasts doesn't mean we need to purpose our lives that that's the way we're going to live. See, we need to understand that there's a God who cares so much that he would actually go before us and he would actually make a way where there seems to be no way. And so I want us to have a look at this story because here are some outcasts. Here are some insignificant people. Here are four lepers that their own people had nothing to do with, yet they're etched in history. They're put in the word of God. And this is the only time that we see them spoken about. But yet God felt that what they did was valuable enough to leave there for us to learn from. So I think it's worth having a look at. Famine is an incredible time in the Bible famine happened all the time you know in the land there was Gideon who rose up in a time of famine Ruth rose up in a time of famine Joseph rose up in a time of famine Elijah rose up in the time of famine these are heroes of the faith in the Bible and so we need to understand that this is our day of opportunity rather than thinking but look we're only a little remnant here what can we really do oh we've got to start to dare to believe what can we do why has God purposed us for this moment and as we rise up let's see what God can do in us but let's go back and I want us to go through verse by verse. Verse three, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we're going to the city, the famine is there and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go to the camp of the Armenians and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. So in simple terms, as I said before, die, die, maybe live, die. We need to recognise that our lives spiritually are very simple. We've actually got one option and that one option is a place where we could actually die. In other words, if we don't understand what it is to take steps of faith, we're actually not going to live a life, we're just going to become a group of religious people. And see, so often in church life, what we do is we look at denominations. We look at church groups that in the past seem to lose their way. And we look at them and we say, oh, they're just a religious group. But if we're not careful, if we're not taking a daily step of faith, we're just becoming religious. And this group does not exist for us. It exists for the people that don't yet know our Jesus. So for us to actually expand, we've got to take steps of faith. We've got to rise up in faith. So the options are die. What was their first option? Go back into the city. Isn't it interesting how the first thought most of us have when we actually get vulnerable in any area is to go back to what we once knew was comfortable? To go back to what we felt we were in control of. Interestingly, many of us actually ran away from that, but now we have this romantic view that back there it was so much better. You know, I had the opportunity to go to my home that I was brought up in. And when I was, you know, growing up as a kid, my parents didn't have a lot of money. And uh, we lived in this house. But, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know any different. So this this house was a palace to me. I mean, I had hiding places. I used to, you know, do stuff in jump in my brother's cupboard and jump out and smack the doors on his head. He was twice as tall as me. And, and I had fond memories of, uh, you know, playing um, like baseball in the, in the um, you know, in the corridor of the house, me and my brother. When my parents went out to the shops, we'd get the real baseball out. When they were home, we'd play with like a softball. And, uh, and they discovered it one day because I hit the ball and it went straight through one of the doors. It was quite obvious what we'd been doing. And, uh, but, you know, I had these fond memories. But one of the things that I remember specifically was my bedroom. Because, you know, as a kid, you go in there, and I don't know if you did this, but I used to have adventures in my bedroom. I'd create, you know, all these crazy things. Uh, I used to love the books. I don't know if you ever read one of these, but it's a book called Choose Your Own Adventure. You'd get to a certain page in the book, and then you'd actually go, toe to this page if you want to do this, or go to the... I used to love those books, you know. It was like, I knew all the endings, but I'd still read it a 100 times. And, uh, and anyway, I was in my room, and I had this dream from a very young age that one day I would preach on stages all over the world. And so at the age of eight, I started to get a little frustrated that nobody was inviting me to preach. So I decided that I was going to have church of my own. They weren't getting me in my own church to do anything. So what I did is I set up my bedroom every Tuesday afternoon and every Thursday afternoon after school, and it was church. And I'd go in there, shut the door around about four o'clock every day. I'd get in the room and in those times, you know, some of you won't remember what these are, but there was a thing called the overhead projector. Okay, it was like a box with a light in it. It wasn't as cool as all this stuff, but I'm telling you, we thought it was cool back then. As an eight-year-old, I was like, I wanted to be in the ministry of the overhead projectionist. That was like the coolest thing that I could be. But in those times, if you had, say, six songs, you, you and all the verses like you see up there, that could be like 25 different slides. And, you know, it's a bit like here today, although there is air conditioning, it doesn't feel like there's air conditioning. In the church I was in, there was no air conditioning. It was windows open only. Some days, you'd actually put the, um, the slide on the screen and it would project up on the wall and the wind would blow and the slide would just go flying across the church. And you'd see this overhead projectionist run over, trying to grab the slide, and the whole church is like, oh, because oh, oh, we don't know the words. And so, and then he'd put it back up. Or some worship leaders, they get so lost in worship that they wouldn't change the slide. And people were like, Turn it over, turn it over, and then you know. And, and, and the other thing about it is, you couldn't sit on the front row because they'd line their slides up all along the front row. And so, in my room, I had a little cardboard box, a little broom handle sticking out the top, and that was my overhead projector. I'd be the overhead projectionist while the worship service was going on. I'd then get up on the stage and, and I'd lead the meeting, you know, and I'd lead the meeting and, you know, and, and contrary to what Christy thought, I have not written any Planet Shaker songs, okay? There's not much Chris, there's not much creativity coming out of this boy when it comes to music, okay? I do all the deals to get, you know, uh, everything in place so that we can put our albums all over the world, but man, I do not create the songs. Just want to get that right right here, okay? Leave that to Christy and others. And, uh... But, you know, I, um, I'd lead the meeting. Then it would come time to preach. That's really the only reason I was having the meeting. And so I would... Oh, I forgot to tell you. I had about 13 or 14 teddy bears... And every Tuesday, Thursday, I'd line them up against the back wall. I'm telling you, they knew the word of God, those teddy bears. And uh, I'd preach hard to them. Then it'd come to the end of the service. And I would always do like I'm going to do today, a salvation altar call. People who don't know Jesus. And I'd say, is there anybody? Is there anybody? And one eye's open. And sure enough, every week, one of those teddy bears' arms would go up. Only because I went over and lifted it up. But it was up, and Nevertheless. And then I'd get them and, you know, if your friends put their hand up, why don't you help them come to the front? And I'd I'd get the teddy bears and I'd bring them forward and pray for them. And then sometimes I'd pray for them and the power of God would touch them. They'd fall on the floor. And it was incredible, you know, what was going on in this room. So much so sometimes I'd say, the service is over, everybody. There's a few people still encountering God, we're going to leave. And I'd walk out. I'd go up the corridor and I'd get to the refrigerator because it was after school. And it was literally a routine, and I'd open the refrigerator and go in. and My mum would always be somewhere nearby, and she'd say, Son, how did you go today? I'd say, Oh, mum, three got saved. It was an incredible presence of God. <laughs> she'd go, That's great, son. I can tell you, without a word of a lie, in Australia right now, where she lives, it's about 8 o'clock in the morning. When I get home tonight, there'll be a text, and she'll say, How did you go, son? All these years later. But you see, that house, to me, was like, wow, this is the biggest place. I went in there for a home open a few years ago. I just happened to be driving by and it was a home open. And I went in and literally, without a word of exaggeration, I could get my hands and put them out wide like this and nearly touch every wall in the room. My memory was huge. But when I went back, it was so small. See, many of us have moved on, but yet we get... Dangled thoughts of how much better it is back there. I'm going to go back to that church I came from. I'm going to go back to that environment. I'm going to go back to that state. It's been so hard. But you need to understand, if you go back, you die. You see, there's no option about going back. It says in Ephesians that if if you put on the full armour of God. But read it. It doesn't say there's any backplate. Why? Because the soldiers never turned around. They just kept walking forward. We need to recognise we're not a group, we're not just a church, we're the army of God in this place and we need to keep walking forward. So the next option is, well, what about if I stay here? There's no food coming over the walls. Could we stay here, guys? And some people, because of hurt, some people, because in the first few months of this church, I put on all the energy, I'm just going to hang back now. Some people come into this place, and maybe you've come, and there's been something broken in your life, and you're like, "I'm not going to participate. I'm just going to sit." But you need to understand: go back, you die. Stay where you are, you die. But I, I, I don't know if I've got the energy. You don't need to. You just need to surrender to God and walk forward, and He'll give you all the energy you need. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you know, there's only one other option. What a harebrained plan. Let's go to the enemy's camp and see if he'll look after us. See if he'll take us in. Think about it. They're talking to each other. Well, we've got leprosy. Let's go to the enemy's camp. Let's infect them all. You know, hey, commander, would you let us into your camp? We're from the enemy and we know that the enemy's job is to kill us and we've got leprosy, but anyway, would you let us in? I mean, it's such a fictitious plan, but isn't it funny how when you step out in what God purposes you to do, If you talk to people about it, it's like insane. Oh, we're going to own a building in central LA one day. It's insane. Just look at the prices. How are we ever going to afford that? We're not. God's going to come through supernaturally. Oh, in my circumstance, how am I ever going to get that job? I know that that's what God has for me, but I don't have any qualification. And God comes through in a supernatural way. How many of us have stories? We saw those testimonies. And you see, if we don't understand that you go back, you die. You stay where you are, you die. So the only option is to step out. Maybe you live, maybe you die. But hey, isn't that the whole point? The thing about this generation, this generation is their capacity to dare to do something extreme. We don't want that just out there. We've got a God who wants us to be passionate and take steps. And you know what I call it? I call it happy, scared. It's like, okay, God, I'll do what you told me to do. Ah! I don't know if you're going to come through, God. We take a step. Okay, God, I'm I'm happy, scared. But it's amazing when you break through into what God has for you. You get the story and everybody else says, I want what you've got. You don't get there by thinking to yourself, well, I'm just going to play it safe. I'm going back. I'm staying where I am. You've got to take a step. And you don't take a step anywhere to the enemy's camp. Notice that? Our faith isn't about, I'm believing for my Mercedes-Benz. I'm not against having good things. But the Bible says that if you seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added unto you. That's not our focus. Our focus is taking back what the enemy has stolen. Stepping into the enemy's camp and saying, enemy, no longer are you in control of us. Because maybe some misfits, maybe some outcasts who are prepared to, "Ah," could actually bring change for a whole city. Die, die, maybe live, die. I'm not going to die wandering. I'm going to take steps of faith. But we read on in this story and we go to verse 5. At dusk they got up and they went to the camp of the Armenians. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and they fled in the dusk, abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. This is an army, the strongest assembled army on earth. 400,000 men trained to fight. They're camped in a place. Just imagine how big a place it would be. You know, in in a parameter sense, it would be nearly as big as the city block. Just tents and horses and all their their, their fighting machinery. And a noise. A noise. Get this a noise. Not another army. They got spies out looking for other armies. They got people out there. But God brings such an incredible noise that they get scared. It's like one of those comedy movies and they run away. They don't even look. They run away. They leave everything there. But here's the interesting thing. Isn't it interesting that it's four lepers, number one, that God does this for, four outcasts? Takes away hundreds of thousands for four outcasts. See, faith is what moves the hand of God. The book of Hebrews says without faith, it's not sometimes possible. It, It could be good. It's without faith, it's impossible to please God. So therefore, the only trading chip we have as, as people that want to serve God and bring pleasure to our God is we've got to ah, get some happy scared. We've got to take some steps of faith. We've got to walk towards the enemy's camp. But here's the thing. You take the steps and we know the story. God's cleared the camp. But these guys are walking going, what's going to happen when we get there? It's a bit like when Pastor Christie says, you know, tonight you've got an opportunity given the offering. Do what God tells you to do. He tells you what to do. Tuesday comes and there's three more bills than there was before and you couldn't even afford what you had now. Now you've got three more bills. Ah! That's the scared bit right there. The happies just disappeared in the meeting. It was like, yes, Lord, oh, I believe in you. Oh, this is awesome. Ah! But you see, God is making a way even though you can't see it. As soon as you take a step of faith, you motivate the hand of God. That's what pleases God. That's what attracts the attention of heaven. Those who will actually take steps of faith. And so many of us get stuck in a rut doing what we've always done, going back to what feels comfortable. But church, I want to stir you tonight to recognise that Fearless has done some incredible things in its short history, but it's time for us to take some massive steps again. It's time for us. Oh, a massive step when we started was people leaving from other cities to join here. But what's the massive step next? What is it that God's going to ask of you? What is it that God's going to stir you to do? Because we're just a happy, clappy club if we're here not exercising faith. God has called us to be, "Ah," and take the steps. But on the way, he will make a way where there is no way. He'll make a sound that'll take away an army. He'll bring in finance where we thought we could never do it. He'll cause somebody who doesn't even know him to say, I'll drop the price by $10,000 and make it possible. Make a way where there is no way. But the great thing is that many of us actually talk about many ministries and churches and If you watch Christian television sometimes, I'm not bagging out Christian television, but sometimes you watch those shows and there's some guy, he's just asking for this. I've got the sawdust of this and if you get this today, you'll get this. And we go, oh, ah, you know, there's just something about that 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 doesn't inspire us. And I'm not saying it just to put people down, I'm saying it because we've got to understand that we've got to actually personally take a step, not just live in the shadow of somebody else's step. Not just hear about what happened over there, but we've actually... You know, today, if you're not in faith right now, you're taking up too much space. If you're not living in faith right now, you're you're staying where you are, lying in the sand. I don't know if I can do anything else. You're dying, spiritually. I'm going to go back. You're dying. There's only one option. I'm going to take that step. But you see, so many people want the benefits of faith. They want the benefits of faith. They look at people that have gone before them and they go, I'd love to have that and I'd love to see that and I'd love that opportunity. People say to me often, oh, pastor, oh, I'd love to travel like you travel. Be sure that traveling isn't as glamorous as you might think. When you've got a family at home that you love dearly and you're away, you know, all this time, there's, there's things about it that you don't love. But even to get here, you've got to know what you've gone through to actually get here. But as soon as I know what I've gone through and I take it for granted, I'm just on the edge saying I'm going backwards rather than forwards like anybody else. And so in this room, you want the story? Then you've got to take the step. You want to be able to stand up here, write out one of those cards? You've got to take the step. These people actually lived in the... "Ah!" But God was making a way where there was no way. And now they can tell you the story. But you see, you read on here in in verse 8, it says this. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and cloth. Hang on a second. They were just wanting their lives. They were just wanting to stay alive. But because they took a step, silver, gold, this weren't any clothes. This was like the Amani of its time. I mean, these were the, the emperor's clothes. These were fine linen. They, 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 they're taking it and they're putting it on. You imagine them going, this is unbelievable. We better take as much as we can. We know that because it says they took it and they went and hid it. Because they're thinking the army's going to come back any minute. They hadn't computed yet that God had actually done a miracle. And I want you to understand that, that blessing and favor comes to those who take steps of faith. But People who chase blessing and favour actually don't live in blessing and favour. People who chase taking back what the enemy has stolen, God actually adds it naturally to their life. They weren't chasing that. They were just taking a step and God said, okay, you've taken a step. I'm going to give you a little more. Blessed down, shaken together, running over. I'm going to give you more than you could ever imagine. I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Here's a little bit of blessing for you. But we want the blessing, but we don't want the step. Here they are in this place. Suddenly they realise this is what's happened. You know, when I started out as a pastor, you know, uh, Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Christy don't know this, but when they were first talking to me, they were talking about, just like you've got some financial challenges, you know, they had some financial challenges, both church and individual. But you see, they were on the edge. They weren't going back. They weren't staying where they are. They weren't talking to me like, don't think we can do this anymore. They're just, "Ah, I'm talking to you about, I challenged them with a few things, but what they didn't know is when my wife and I started our church, we did exactly the same. We said the first 12 months, whatever happens in the church, we're not going to draw an income, which sounds so spiritual. Yes, Lord, we're going to live by faith. But I want to tell you, it's not as glamorous as you might think. Because when there's no income coming in, it's like, God, please got to this place about three months after the church had opened. Worst thing was, the church had opened, our church exploded with gross in the, in the first three months, and there was enough money coming in that could have easily paid me. And at the three-month point, I put somebody else on staff, and I still wasn't getting an income. And, you know, I, I was like, okay, God, I don't know what you're going to do here, but this person came to me in the church and said, Pastor Neil, you know, it took you six months to get the church going, and then you started it three months You must be tired, you and Leonie. And I said, yeah. I said, but we're going to keep pressing through. You know, this is like the first seed. And And they're like, no, no, what we want to say is we've got a holiday house. We would love you to use our holiday house. Just go and have a week. No charge, you know, there's lots of stuff there. You just have to provide food. What they didn't know is we didn't have a credit card at that stage intentionally because I was like, if we have a credit card, we're just going to get into full debt. So I got rid of the credit card, which was another smart move when I had money, but now I've got no money, I'm thinking, why'd they get rid of the credit card? (laughs) $50 we had left. Church was exploding, people were singing our praises, and every day I'm waking up going, I don't even know how I'm going to eat. So I said to my wife, you know what, we should take this holiday. It's an opportunity. We only got 50 bucks, it's going to be pretty average food, but hey, it'll be cool. We're all gone. So on the way, I had to speak at a youth uh, event it was teaching young people how to win their schools for Christ so I went along and that night I was speaking I was the leader of this movement and I knew that I wasn't going to get paid you know and sometimes when you preach you get paid and, and so you know you, you're thinking, I'm thinking to myself well, they're not going to get paid so I wasn't thinking about it from that's going to help the holiday I was just going to do what God had called me to do I got there I, somebody took an offering I had the $50 in my pocket I don't know whether I should tell you this, but basically, I didn't feel to put the $50 in the offering. I don't know whether I was more scared of God or my wife at that point, but I kept the $50. And, and, uh, and, and then the, the, the worship went on, and as it's going on, I hear this voice. Take the $50, make it into two 20s and a 10, and teach the young people how to give. I'm like, get behind me, Satan. They just had an offering. You know, and, and, and then I hear the voice again, and I'm like, surely, God, you can't be... And I knew that it was God. And he said, I want you to teach, not take an offering. And here's what I want you to do. So he spoke to me in the worship. So I got somebody to change it. But all the time in my head going, what am I going to tell Leonie? you know? Great that I'm a man of God and I've heard from God. But now we've got nothing. Ah, happy, scare. So I, I take the, the money. And I take $20. Go up to this young boy. I know him pretty well. And the Bible says we should give into good soil. This young kid was somebody I know. In fact, now he's a youth pastor and I knew at the time he was going to do something significant for God. So I gave him the $20 and he's smiling like, you beauty, $20, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, lucky you, yeah. And I'm like holding on a little too tight and he's trying to pull it and I let it go and I'm thinking, man, I'm down to $30. God, speak to me. Stop now, yes, okay, God. But he didn't speak to me so I'll get the next $20. I go up to this girl the other reason we give is because God tells us to. God, if you position yourself, will tell you to. And he'll put you in the place. of. Ah. But I want to tell you, that's the place you want to be. I take this 20, I go up to a girl and I say, God's just told me the reason I'm giving you this is because he loves you and he cares about the smallest thing. She starts to cry. But you might go, well, that's very spiritual. That's awesome. I'm going, I should be crying. I just gave you $20, I only got 10 left. And anyway, I find out later that she brought five girls to the camp. And her fuel was enough to get her to camp. But she just said that day, God, I don't know how I'm going to get home. And that $20 was God saying, I'll look after you. Yeah. It's great. But I've still got only $10 left. Take the $10, by that stage it's like $10, who cares, $0. So I walk up to this kid and the Bible says, just Just be generous. As Christy talked about, we just got to have a generous spirit. So I just gave him 10 bucks and he's real happy. And I go and preach. Preachers have the ability when you've been preaching for a while to be able to preach something and actually be thinking about something totally unrelated. So I'm actually up there and all I can think about is what am I going to tell my wife? You know, there's powerful what's happened and great stories, but what do I tell her? Honey, we're going to have a great holiday. It's going to be a fasting holiday. I feel that's what the Lord's saying. You know, what am I going to say? So the whole meeting, anyway, I come to the end and I have this time and bring people forward and there's all these young people and I'm praying like this. And as I'm praying, got my eyes closed, hand praying for this young man. A hand goes in my pocket. It's not my hand. And when your eyes are closed and someone else's hand in your pocket, that's not a good thing. <laughs> so I open my eye like this and there's a young man with his hand in my pocket. I'm like, what, you know, and I can feel my hand like, I'm going to knock you out, get your hand out of my pocket, you know. And, and he's like you know, with his other hand. And I'm like, yeah, exactly, get it out. And he goes, there's something in your pocket. Yeah, your hand. And then he took it out. I reached into my pocket and in the pocket is $50. He said, as you were giving the money away, God said to me, give him the money back. And I was like, yes, I knew God would come through. (laughs) I always knew that he would. (laughs) Isn't it funny? Happy, scared. We have a different story when we're through it to when we're in the middle of it. I go out to my car and I step into the car and one of the committee members of camp comes up and says, Pastor Neil, I know we never pray you, but we've had an incredible camp and, and we took some offerings and we're way over budget. And we felt as a team that we should bless you. I didn't say it, but inside I went, yes, I think you should bless me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Gave me a white envelope and oh, I was like, yes, the white envelope. But, you know, because I was playing it cool, I just took the white envelope, put it in my jacket, said, thank you very much, I appreciate it. Like, you know, I didn't want to overemphasise the point. And when they got around the corner, I pulled the envelope out, ripped it apart. And there was $300 in the envelope. My $50 had gone to $350 because of what they'd seen happen in that environment. Happy, scared. We can go back and die. We can stay where we are. Or we can, ah, okay, good, yes. I'm going to come through. You see, this church isn't just a rallying point for us to have some fun. This is an environment where we come and trade stories about what God did in and through us this week. How God touched us. How I prayed for that sick person. And wow, look what took place. But look what happens when we read on. We read on and in 2 Kings 7 verse 9, Then they said to each other, We're not doing right. This is the day of, notice something, good news. You need to understand the gospel is referred to as good news. When you actually look at the original manuscript, it's the same good news that is being referred to here as Jesus when he talks about us being the good news of the gospel. So suddenly we understand that these guys, because they've been outcast, if you were here this morning, remember I said sometimes we go through persecution because it actually fashions us so that we're ready for what God wants to use us in the future. Why did they go through hell? Why did they get leprosy? Because they were deemed to be the saviors of their nation. And suddenly in the middle of their blessing, they didn't take it for granted. They didn't go, this is so I can get a better house, a better car. They understood because of their persecution that God gave it to them so that they could actually save a city. And God entrusts people sometimes What we look at and we go, why did God use them? Simply because they've been through it and God knows that they're not going to drop the ball at the critical moment. So here they say, We've got good news, we've got to go and tell the king. And he goes back and Israel is saved because the army's gone, but there's enough food to feed everybody. And they get through that famine time because of four outcasts going back to where they've been rejected. But you see, when you've had an encounter with God, it doesn't matter if you've been rejected. You've had a situation with your father, a situation with your mother. When you have an encounter with God, you can do what everybody says isn't possible. You can be in a situation where finances have gone from your life, but suddenly when you get some, you're able to give because you know that God is your saviour, not your source of income or your employer. Suddenly you've got a revelation because of what you've been through. And these guys understood what it was. They wanted to share the good news. Why do we have Sunday church? We got DNA on Tuesday night and we got urban life groups and stuff coming and we have all those things where we learn and we interact and sure Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Christie and people like me come and preach the gospel and and speak words of encouragement and build your faith. But the true reason that we have church, that's why we come and pray so hard because we want to be thankful to God. We want to break open the spiritual dimension. Why do we worship? We want to thank Him for what He's done. But church, we need to come with thanksgiving in our heart. We walk in these doors and this is a place of celebration. When we talk to each other and we go, man, you're not going to believe what happened this week. And just like Christy read all those things, we in this room start to stir each other, the Bible says, in our holy faith. We get stirred because we hear about that guy did this. This person prayed for their sick friend at church and it inspired me to go and do it the next week and we keep coming back with stories to tell. The good news of the gospel is us not being a group that says in 1972 I got saved and God transformed my life. What happened yesterday? What's going to happen tomorrow? Because you see you're just trading on a currency that doesn't exist anymore if you're going back. You're trading on a currency that doesn't exist anymore if you're staying where you are. So the only option you've got is, happy, ah, scared, living in that place that seems so extreme. But I want to tell you, that's where God lives. You want to touch God, you've got to take steps of faith. My son is 14. He's about 12 and a half. He came home one day from school and school had been teaching him about the different theories of how the earth came into existence. And he goes to a Christian school but really there's not a lot Christian about it. So they're teaching every different... And on this particular day they taught the big blob theory that the earth just came into being one day. And his friend, knowing that Ryan's a Christian, turns to him and says, I don't believe in God. I believe in the big blob theory right in the middle of class. Ryan comes home that night. Now, I'm a man. When I get home and the news is on, I get pretty focused on what's going on on the TV. My son comes in and he's wanting to talk to us and he says, oh, this happened at school today. And he said, the reason that he said it, Jared said it to me is because he said, I've never experienced God, so how can I believe in him? And I was focused on the news and it's a deep conversation and people say men can only do one thing at a time. I don't believe that, but there are moments probably where it's true. And anyway, I, I was watching the news, but I had subconsciously heard the conversation and my wife is standing behind and she kicks me. I'm like, what was that for? She's like, you know, like focus or you're dead. And like I said, I'm more fearful of her sometimes than God. So I turn around and my son's there and I said, buddy, what did you say to him? He said, I couldn't say anything. I don't think I've experienced God. Now, my natural reaction as a father is, of course you have. You've been to children's church. I've heard about you responding to old school. You've done it all, man. What are you? And my wife's giving me the glare again, and I'm like, okay, this is a moment. This could be a defining moment for his life. So right mid-sentence, I said, buddy, tonight I'm going to come in your bedroom, as I do every night, and we're going to pray together. Love, you know, I've been traveling for 20 years. One of the things I love is FaceTime. Because now I can just put the phone next to my son in bed and we just talk and pray for each other. and It's incredible, you know, but we weren't able to do that for about 10 years. And uh, anyway, so I, I get into his bed that night and we're just talking and then I said, hey, buddy, that whole thing. He goes, yeah, Dad, I, I have experienced God, but not enough that I could stand up when my friend said that. I said, okay, why don't you and I believe together in the next seven days... You're going to have an encounter with God like you've never had. And it was one of those moments where it was like it was out of my mouth. And then I'm thinking, oh, no, I've got to deliver somehow. He goes, that's a great idea, Dad. Let's pray. And I pray for him. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to have an encounter. It's great for him, but he's living off my faith right now. And I'm like, "Ah, what if it doesn't happen? My son, I can preach on the greatest stages in the world. But if my son doesn't find Christ in that moment, what does it all mean? That weekend, I, I travel away to New Zealand, and he goes to church. Monday, I arrive home. That was on a Tuesday night. We're sitting at the table on Monday night, and, and my wife says, Ryan, have you told your dad what happened yet? He said, no, no, Dad, I haven't. Yesterday, I went to children's church in the first service, and my kids, my kids cry. I mean, it's just stopped recently because one's 17, one's 14, so thank God. But they, they always would cry because we do four services on Sunday. And they don't want to go home for the last. They want to stay for the fourth, you know, but it goes into late at night. And so, and so you know, so don't tell me that kids don't want to be in church. It's just about the way that we actually train and, and help them to understand what it is. And so, you know, my, 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 my son says, Dad, in the first service, I went to children's church. And they said at the end, "Is anybody want to come and just experience Jesus? So he said, Dad, I've been before, but I went thinking, maybe this is the moment said, I went forward. I don't know what happened, Dad, but it was like I blacked out. What I didn't realize is I laid on the floor. And in the second service, there was somebody tapping on me because I was still out to it on the floor at the end of the second service, like three hours later. He said, in that time, Dad, God showed me creative ideas with video and stuff for moving people forward. He showed me, which my son now, Thinking about that now is incredible. You know, he runs the YouTube channel for our youth ministry, and just at the age of fourteen, and, and, and he, he he said to me, and I saw myself preaching on stages like you, Dad. But Dad, to be honest, there were a lot bigger stages than you preach on. You know? Okay. You know? And he said it was just I incre- oh, was incredible. So I'm sitting at the table because you can park there and say, well, this is where I'm living. But remember, when you're taking your kid on a journey, when you're taking your life on a journey happy scared is a daily moment I said son why did we pray that prayer he goes because I didn't really know God no but why oh because I couldn't say anything to Jared now can you say something to Jared he goes yeah dad I can say something but what do I say and we got this thing which we'll give to you guys called Red Book it's designed for kids and they can lead their friend to the Lord through this book and and, uh, so he, he, he takes it and I show him where the sinner's prayer is and we talk about it and he goes yeah I'm ready so he goes to school the next day and uh, he goes to school and, and they go to the Science Discovery Centre. I don't know if you've got one here, but basically they lie on their back and they look up at all the constellations, the stars, and they tell them about it and how it was created. And They talk about millions of years ago and all these different things and my son's sitting there. and Anyway, he gets on the bus to go home that day. As he gets on the bus, Jared's sitting at the back of the bus. Ryan's one of the last ones to get on and he says, I stand on the bus and I said... Jared, I'm going to give you seven days and you're going to have an encounter with God in front of all his school friends. And then he comes home that night and he tells me. And I go into stress mode again, happy, scared. I'm now thinking, God, you've got to come through for my son now in the next seven days. Ryan's like, it's going to be awesome, Dad. I'm like, God, you are got to come through. God, my prayer life went up drastically, you know. Anyway, they do science. And there's a video by Louis Giglio. I've actually never seen about creation. And and so they show it on the screen. She wants to show the creation version. Halfway through the video, there's something takes place in the video. Jared's at the front and Ryan's two rows back. Jared turns around and goes, Ryan, in front of the whole class, I I just experienced God. Ryan comes home and tells us that night. I said, that's incredible. He goes, Dad, God came through. I said, what now? He goes, oh, I guess I've got to lead him to the Lord, to give him an option to know Jesus. I said, yeah, you've got to do it, man. So the next day he goes to school. I was sitting at dinner. I said, how'd you go? He goes, oh, it's good, Dad. I took the book. I said to Jared when I saw him in the morning, you want to know Jesus? He said, yes. I said, okay, meet me at morning recess time. We're going to, I'm going to introduce you to Jesus. I thought, okay, that's a different style, but go for it. And so he, he said, morning recess came, and I took him right up to the back of the school behind the sheds. I said, why'd you do that? He said, we needed privacy, Dad. And so I said, okay. So he took him through the sinner's prayer and he said, Jared said, yes, I want to do it. So he prayed for him. He said, then I went and played football and I left him there. So what'd you leave him there for? He said, dad, he's got a lot of sin in his life. He needed to stay and work it out with God. I don't know about the theology of that, but anyway, and so. So the next night, Ryan comes home with a note from Jared's non-believing mum. I'm like, oh, God help me. I stopped praying. I should have kept praying. I would have resisted this problem. I open the note and I start to read it. As I'm reading the note, Hi Ryan, I'm Jared's mum. you see me in the playground. What you don't know is yesterday you asked Jared to come to know Jesus. My grandfather was a preacher. But when I was young I got hurt in a church situation. and I've never been back to church. But he said when Jared told me what you did with the book he then looked up at me and he said mum do you want to do this as well because you need to he didn't even know that I had a Christian heritage and I said yes Jared last night I prayed the sinner's prayer with Jared and now both of us are saved happy scared go back to where you came from die stay where you are Spiritually, it's death. (laughs) Seven days, God come through. My son would encounter you. Seven days, God, that his friend would encounter you. Oh, no, a note. You see, all the way through, it's happy, scared. It's not, oh, this is unbelievable all the time. But if we understand that the trading tool of heaven is faith, we've got no option. Otherwise, you're just coming to this great club. This ain't a great club. This is an environment of faith. This is where people discover who they've been searching for. This is the place where we come and we tell stories, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right now, if you'll take a step of faith, God will make a way. He wants to go before you. But without faith, it's impossible. It's impossible. Going back, it's impossible. Staying where you are. It's impossible. Come on. Uh, uh, Take steps of faith. This church could double next week for each one of us. Uh, I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. I'm going to invite a friend. I'm going to pray for that sick person I see in the street. Make a way where there is no way, God. Do something in each person's life here tonight. Uh, Oh, he's here right now. Never encountered God. It's not just for my son. It's not just for me or another person in this room. God wants to show you how real he is in this room. I want you to close your eyes just for the sake of being focused for a moment, not being distracted. You say, I'm not right with God. I once was, but I'm away from him. I never was, but I want to come to know him. There's a simple plan that God designed. It sounds simple, but oh, there was such a price that God had to pay. Bible says he sent his son to die upon a cross. That's why we've got a cross on the side of us here. It's symbolic of the fact that he paid a price and whoever believes in him and acknowledges him as the Lord of their life, Asked him to take away their sin. He took that for us on the cross. His blood, his broken bones, his suffering was meant so that you and I could live a life of freedom. And in this room, there are people that don't know God right now. Oh, maybe you once did. That's going back. You've died. I got hurt by something and I've stayed where I am. You may have known God, but Maybe you're not in the right place with Him now. Maybe you've come into this room and you're going, well, what does it mean for me to happy, scared? Well, the first place is right now. For you, you know that I'm talking to you. You know that God is whispering into your heart and there's as much fear as there is excitement. It's like, what does this mean? Am I joining a club? Am I? No, you're not joining anything. You're coming into a relationship with God via His Son who died upon a cross for you, for me. In this room, there's not one or two. There's many that aren't right with him right now. And I want to pray for each one of you. So I know who I'm praying for in a moment while every eye is closed. Would you just slip up your hand and say, that's me, Neil. I want to take a step. Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down again. Who else says that's me? Come on, I know there's others. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Who else says that's me? Please pray for me. I want to leave the way I came. I want to be right with God. This moment, I want to take that. Ah, Happy, scared. Happy, scared. Yes, yes, I see your hands. Put them down. Who else says that's me? Come on, I know there's more. Thank you. Over here, you can put your hand down. Who else says that's me? Come on, join these six or 7 that They're already left in the hand. There's more. I sense it. There's like this battle going on. Thank you, I see your hand. Who else says that's me? Please pray for me. Thank you, sir. I see a hand. You can put it down again. Thank you, ma'am. I see a hand. Oh, there's a great battle going on. I've taken a step tonight saying, there's more, there's more. Happy, scared. What if nobody put their hand up? Can you see what I'm saying? You've got to keep taking the steps. For these people, life's going to change like they've never known it before. Because they're going to have an encounter with God. I want everybody in this room to stand to your feet right now. Everybody would just stand with me. I'm going to ask those people. There was many. You know, if you were my... If, 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 if tonight, I knew Torah, he, he Pastor Torah didn't know anybody else. So I introduced him to a few people because he's my friend. I don't go, oh yeah, there he is. Pastor Torah over there. Go see him. When you've got relationship, you're concerned about how people connect. I'm about to introduce you to my greatest friend. His name is Jesus. And I don't want to do it while you're sitting over there. I want to pray with you. We do this in this church, our church in Australia, I'm sure in Pastor Torre's church, all over the world. People come forward and they pray a prayer. You don't have to be embarrassed. (laughs) Last thing you need to be. This is why we exist. That you would get in the right place with God. Whether it's your first time or you've done it before. I want all embarrassment, all fear to go out of the atmosphere. I want you to, I'm going to take the step. So as we sing this song through just a couple of times, all those people, guys, girls over here, come on, come. If, if you're a bit nervous, church, I don't know if you do this yet at Fearless, but turn to the people around you and bring them forward. So I'll go with you. Come on, come right forward. Come and stand right here. Come on, come on. Fantastic. Come on, awesome, awesome, awesome. awesome. Thanks for listening to another powerful message from Fearless LA. You can follow what's happening at Fearless by going to fearlessla.com, exploring the app, or looking us up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. If you would like prayer, check out the prayer wall in the Fearless app. God bless you.